Hi, this is Dan Sullivan. Some of you know me. My partner in life and my partner in business, Bab Smith, and I, in 1989, created a coaching program for entrepreneurs called Strategic Coach. We've had great success over the last 30 years, and one of our greatest successes has been the extraordinary entrepreneurs that we've met. And I'm going to introduce you to Ben Hardy, because Ben is a great writer on the internet. He's internet fame. He also writes his own books. He's a doctor of psychology, a PhD of psychology. And Ben, when he first saw the idea of this podcast series, which is called Who Not How, he said, oh, that's a really, really great idea. I'd like to talk to you about maybe collaborating with you and getting the idea of who, not how into the world. Before I go into details on that, Ben, I'd just like to introduce you and talk a little bit about yourself beyond what I've already said, and just talk about why you think this is such a great idea to collaborate in the way that we're doing, and also the project that we have in front of us. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was introduced to Dan's work. I don't know how, but it was about four or five years ago. It may have been through Joe Polish, but as soon as I started hearing Dan teach about four or five years ago, I was immediately hooked. So for the last four or five years, I've been studying Dan's work and really learning and applying it. For the last four or five years, I've been a PhD student at Clemson, getting my PhD in organizational psychology. And in the midst of these last four or five years, growing my online business and learning how to write viral articles and just loving everything that Dan taught. And then I ultimately was able to be a part of a mastermind that Dan's a part of. For me, because I'm a writer, I'm always just studying concepts, ideas. And basically, yeah, about a year ago, I think it was, Dan was teaching who, not how, and he's going to explain it to you in a second. But as soon as I heard it, and I'm already a big fan of Dan, and I wrote a book called Willpower Doesn't Work, which is all about, you know, environment and a big section of it's about collaboration. But I, it was just a no brainer to me that I wanted to get this idea to as many people as possible because the world's becoming increasingly entrepreneurial. And if people can understand this idea, it's going to change their life. It's the most simple way to understand entrepreneurship, <laughs> you know, and so it's just, I was just so excited for the opportunity to work with Dan and the whole idea is all around collaboration. So it's perfect. Yeah. Well, I won't keep people <laughs> hanging on the edge of their seat there, but here's how Who Not How really works. The whole point about this is that we're mainly directing our thinking here and our message here to people who are entrepreneurs, who are individuals who have ambitions. They're talented. They're successful. They have ambitions to get to a bigger and better result in the future. And entrepreneurs, Ben, because I've been working with them for 45 years, have an unusually vivid capability to actually see themselves in the future in a way that they're performing at a much higher level. And they agree with this intellectually, so they buy into it intellectually. And they also commit themselves emotionally to get there. And then they suddenly discover that where they are right now, they don't actually have the capabilities to get to this superior result, this superior position in the marketplace. So they're totally bought into something because of their ambition and their imagination, but they're faced with the fact that they don't know how to do all the hows to get there. Simple reason, if they had those hows, it wouldn't be a project. They would just be doing 
the actual performance that created those results. And this is where entrepreneurs either stop or they move forward in a way that actually expands them. So when you are faced with a bigger and better goal in the future, and you come back and you say how, it's the wrong question. The question is who? The moment that you can't do the how, you immediately ask yourself, well, who's the who who can do the how to get me to my bigger result? And when we look at the world at large, we see individuals who have started as one-person entrepreneurs, and now they have billion-dollar companies or close to trillion-dollar companies. They kept asking themselves when they didn't have the how, who is the person who can actually do that? And this is the idea. So anytime you come up against an obstacle, you don't say how, you say who. I love it. What's funny about this is that in public education, you're taught to ask yourself how. You know, you're taught to compete, not collaborate. You're supposed to get the higher test. And as someone who struggled with my PhD, you know, like for two years, I procrastinated because asking yourself how leads to painful procrastination, right? I did not want to do my PhD for two years because I was asking myself how. I learned from Dan about who, not how. And so I then just hired a stats consultant to help me understand she became my who. And all of a sudden, my PhD was done in four weeks. You know what I mean? Yes. So for this book project, there's no reason for us to pretend we know all about this. Why don't we just get the right who's, build the right team so that this thing becomes successful? It reminds me of an idea from Eben Pagan. He said, have you ever heard of Eben Pagan's idea of inevitability thinking? Oh, yes. Yes. You know, it's basically like success becomes inevitable when you put the conditions in place to make it happen. The conditions are the who's. Yes. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing for me is that when I was a one-on-one -on -one coach, which I was for the first 15 years before we created the strategic coach program, I needed a who, who could actually, along with getting the content of coaching, so I'm, I've got a good brain for actually coming up with new ideas that other people will find useful, and I've got an ability to actually communicate these things, but all the organization you would need around a company if it actually became successful. I don't have any of the how abilities to actually do that. So I met my partner, Bab Smith, in 1982. And the moment we got together, I could see that Babs had a real gift for putting teams together. So we went along. She had a business of her own, but gradually she freed herself up from her business to join our business. And from the moment we teamed up, me, a who can do a certain kind of how, and she's a who can do another kind of how, we've really developed. We're in three countries. We're in eight cities. We have 3,000 active entrepreneurs who are in our program. We have 17 coaches. And all this has come because every time we hit an obstacle, we said, okay, well, we're not the people to do this how. Who do we need next? Who do we need to do this? Who do we need to do that? And my feeling is that there's nothing mysterious about this. This is individuals who were successful 10,000 years ago probably knew how to do this. And the most famous successful people in our own age know how to do this. But I'd like to go back and just have you reflect on some experience, and it has to be a scary place called the American educational system. It's something that terrifies little children at nighttime. And the reason is that it's now extended over 20 years. 
the average number of years now if someone goes to graduate school is about 26 years that they spend in the American educational system. And throughout that entire 26 years, you're graded on how good you are at doing the hows, not how good you are at finding who's. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit? Because the scar tissue is still fresh uh, from <laughs> going through the doctoral program. Yeah, my goodness. So I had a mentor when I was leaving my undergraduate to go into graduate school, and he was a brilliant entrepreneurial thinker. He was one of those people who was the idea guy and he was good at writing. And he actually very rarely in the academic system learned how to collaborate. So he worked with people who are really good at statistics and he was good at creating a lot of published papers with multiple names on it. But the thing about the academic system is, is because there's so much scarcity mentality and he was this young guy who was publishing in a different way, they made sure he could never get tenure. They actually fired him because he was too collaborative and because he was not doing all the hows. They thought that he was ignorant. They thought he was stupid because he didn't know how to do the statistics. And that's not what he specialized in. He wanted to collaborate with people who were brilliant statisticians. And because of that and the jealousy and just the fact that they thought he was ignorant, he got fired, even though he was publishing five to 10 times as much as him. And so that ended up being my perspective going into my PhD program was, oh my gosh. So basically... I spent my entire graduate education attempting to learn statistics, which is something I have no interest in because they think that everyone needs to know how to do it because I'm supposed to be the person to come up with the ideas. I'm supposed to be the person that runs the statistics to explain the ideas. And my own interest is in studying the ideas and learning about the ideas and then collaborating with people and they wouldn't allow me to do that. And so I didn't get very much done during those four years, Dan. And it was really painful because when you're doing hows that you hate that are outside of your unique ability, life's very painful and very slow. And so it was a very painful experience, to be honest with you. And I didn't get very much collaboration done there at all, almost none. And one other just thought about the culture is that there's almost no collaboration among the professors. They're all just working in their own silos. They don't collaborate with each other and share ideas. And there's no unique ability training at all. It's just all about you're doing your own work. You're doing your own research. She's doing her own research. It's a really dark environment, you know, when you really get down to it, very competitive and cutthroat, no sharing of ideas. Yeah, and it's really, really interesting because people have almost a schizophrenic explanation if they look at the educational system from pre-kindergarten up to graduate school and the marketplace where entrepreneurs operate, that my experience, the marketplace is an amazingly collaborative place compared to the academic world. There's certainly competition in the marketplace, but I would say there's far more collaboration in the marketplace than there actually is competition. I mean, sometimes you go head to head, but I think the marketplace, because new things can be created, new businesses, new industries, and it doesn't require anybody's permission except consumers to actually create something new in the marketplace. And I would say that in the academic world, increasingly it's becoming fierce, almost vicious competition for scarcer and scarcer opportunities, resources, positions, tenure, dollars, just straight dollars. But my feeling is that people will teach their students the life that they're actually experiencing. And I think more and more, the academic world is becoming a world where the teachers are experiencing severe scarcity which prompts them not to cooperate at all, which actually prompts them and encourages them not to collaborate at all because there's only so much to go around. 
where in the entrepreneurial world, if you're smart about it and you find a new way of creating value in the marketplace, there's massive amounts of collaboration. And I say this just to set up the collaboration that you and I are, we've already embarked upon and just explain to everybody how I, as an entrepreneur, knowing I could never write a best-selling major book out of New York simply because I don't have the desire to put in the work, can nevertheless have that result if I'm not the one who has to do the how. Exactly. Yeah. What's so brilliant about Who Not How, and by the way, Dan writes these little books all the time. One of the most amazing components of this idea is, is that, as Dan said, if you have big ambitions, if you have bigger and better futures, those things can actually become destructive if you're focusing on the how. But if you focus on the who, then they become liberating and exciting. And so Dan has this amazing idea and he doesn't have to spend an enormous amount of time actually doing it because not only am I one of the hows, I'm the one who's gonna write the book, but we've already built a team of other hows, such as, for example, Tucker Max is gonna be on this book, who has a company called Scribe, who's brilliant at creating media. We have other people who are gonna help us on like the bulk order side. So we're already developing this team of who's and it's all Dan needs to do is continue to develop the ideas and the concepts, which is what he loves to do and which he's brilliant at. And so he gets this bigger and better future as do we all, because the cool part about this concept is, is that we're all sharing in unique ability, you know, 100 X transformation. That's what's exciting about who not how is that you take two people and the whole becomes huge and different from the sum of the parts. And so yeah, it's a fun project. And I actually get to do what I love. I get to write the book. I get to learn from Dan. I love chiseling the idea. I already have the New York publisher, the agent. I've already kind of learned through the hard ropes what it takes and the team it needs. Dan doesn't even have to worry about all that. He just gets yeah. to just collaborate with me and then just get tabs on the project. <laughs> yeah, well, the interesting thing about it was that, first of all, in a week, I'll be 75 years old. And uh, another book that I've written is called My Plan for Living to 156, which is another whole story if you have a killer read. book. It's a killer <laughs> book. It's a killer it deserves book. a Ben Hardy to actually take this to its full potential. But I was thinking, Ben, and we met at, as you said, at a mastermind group. And you know, you kind of know, and I really have pretty good spidey sense here that when I come across someone, whether they're a collaborator or not, and I kind of knew within five minutes, I didn't know that we were going to be doing what we're doing, but I knew we were going to be doing something in the first five minutes. We had a discussion about your book, Willpower Doesn't Work, and I simply said to you, well, it does work at the cost of everything else. And I think that really clicked because you really laughed. Yeah, if you just rely on willpower, you know, you may be able to get through to some result, but you'll probably destroy a lot of things and a lot of people along the way just by relying on willpower. And I guess, you know, to a certain extent, who not how is a perfect method for not relying on willpower. Yeah, I mean, if you're in your unique ability, it doesn't take willpower to do it. It actually gives you energy. Mm. Willpower costs energy to do something because you have to push yourself to do it rather than being pulled forward. Well, it's not your how. No. Yeah. yeah, well, if something's costing you a lot of willpower, it means you shouldn't be doing it. In full transparency, this book, Who Not How, could have been farther along if I hadn't had to do a bunch of hows that I hated doing, which was finishing my PhD. And so what's interesting about thinking about how willpower isn't a fixation on something that costs everything else. 
it was an enormous cost for me to finish my PhD. It cost a lot of people a lot of time. I was committed to doing it. But the idea is, is if you're doing hows that you hate, the amount of potential you have as a person, the amount of bigger and better ambitions that you can pursue are so limited. You just focus on one that really makes you unhappy doing it rather than, you know, building amazing collaborations where results scale because everyone's, you know, they're doing the house that they love. <laughs> yeah, Ben, you know, you have a very, very deep, I think out of natural interest, but certainly out of your education, a great awareness of different psychological experts and authorities and thinkers along those. And I've really believed in this concept of do things that you're not great at and you don't love doing. And people say, well, how can people ever develop moral character if they're just doing what they love doing and things that they find easy to do? Because I talk to people about that and they said, well, you know, you don't believe in people actually doing tough things in your life. And everybody's learned from hard experiences. Even the greatest unique ability people in the world had times in their life where they really had to do things they weren't good at, didn't like doing. So how do you answer the whole, it's almost like a moral yeah. conversation. It's not a practical conversation. It's a moral conversation. The thought that I immediately thought about, honestly, it took me straight to Maslow's hierarchy. You know what I mean? You know, the top stage of Maslow's hierarchy is self-actualization. What I would say is a person who's self-actualized is fully doing the hows that they love and they're succeeding. But Dan actually has shifted self-actualization to be self-transformation. And so basically we can understand that self-transformation means that you're continually transforming yourself by going bigger and better. So how I look at, you know, from a character perspective or from a moral perspective is that I believe that the purpose of life is growth. And if you stop growing because at some point you run out of future, as you would say, Dan, you know, you run out of ambition. I think that that is the opposite of what I believe the purpose of life is. And so if you're always transforming through bigger and better futures, I think that that's actually how you develop character. Like, for example, you're learning, you're gaining mm -hmm. knowledge and you're enhancing your values. You're enhancing the things that you want to do in the world. Once you develop a bigger and better future, there's a gap between where you currently are and where you need to go. And the transformation is what takes you from there to there. What's interesting is, is if you have a bigger and better future or a value or a mission that you believe you need to accomplish, but you don't do it because you're focused on the how, then you feel this intense internal conflict. Psychologists call it cognitive dissonance. It's like, if you have this bigger and better thing that you believe you either want to do or should do, and you don't do it, no transformation occurs. And also you just feel like this internal conflict and that's living beneath your values, your knowledge, your goals. Mm -hmm. And so I actually think it goes against your character because character is developed through the transformation. So is confidence, as you know, it's your four C's. I actually equate confidence and character together. The more character you have, the more confidence you have. So I think that from a moral perspective, we're supposed to develop bigger and better futures mm -hmm. and we need to transform. And if we're not transforming, then we're actually going against ourselves. We're going against our values and things like that. So that's kind of how I see it. Okay. So just to cut to the chase on our collaboration here. What developed over a period of about a year's conversation in our mastermind group was that this idea of who not how, Ben thought it had a tremendous future. And he said, you know, the more people we can get this idea out to, the better. And I said, you know, I have a particular 
type of person that I want to be a hero to, which is a talented, successful, ambitious entrepreneur who wants to just keep growing. They never want to reach a point where they say, I'm now at the end of my growth. So the who, not how concept is almost like the microchip (laughs) for growing these types of entrepreneurs in the sense that we stop them wasting time on things that they shouldn't be doing. But not only that, give them permission not to be bothered that they're not doing the house, that other people can do their house. And I said, well, you know, if you're going to be really legitimate about this concept, you have to practice it, Dan. And I said, I wonder if Ben would be interested in being the writer of the big book on this. And I don't know who suggested it, but we quickly realized that this would be a phenomenal collaboration because the part that you're doing, you love doing. And you're really good at it. I mean, you went from almost a standing start to qualifying for our highest level program in the strategic coach over a period of about four years. So I got total proof that when Ben (laughs) has a bigger and better goal, he gets there. But the other thing is that Ben knows the publishing world. He knows the agent world. He knows the distribution. And some of this is trial and error on his part. But he operates where he knows where vast numbers of different capabilities are out there that I know nothing about. Not only do I know nothing about it, Ben, I have no interest in learning it. You shouldn't. Yeah. Don't go there, right? Don't go there. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the deal that we've done. You know, as a writer, usually if you have a ghostwriter, and this is what a lot of people think about, there's a ghostwriter. The ghostwriter is paid a particular fee. And the actual author, who, you know, usually is the author, and then you have a ghostwriter, I said, well, I'm just going to create a little book on this so that I get all my ideas down on paper so that Ben can actually look like this. And I have a team of 10 people here at Strategic Coach who help me write a brand new book every quarter in 35 hours of my time. And all I have to do is outline the ideas and be interviewed on them. I don't have to write anything, really, except an outline. So I said, you know, I can continue doing this, and I love it, and we've got it down to a system of me plus 10 other hows who help put the little book out. But maybe the little books are just a way of presenting the book proposal in the marketplace. And we did it, and I gave it to Ben. Ben said, gee, I love this. This is great. You showed it to your agent and you show it to your publisher. Yeah, my editor at Portfolio already has this little beautiful book proposal. This is probably the most beautiful book proposal he's ever gotten. Yeah, with cartoons. <laughs> you, you yeah, have to, pictures, got we cartoons. have cartoons. And the other thing is yeah. that uh, a lot of people like cartoons, you know, and that we have an audio track on it. We have a video track on it. And here's the thing that's really, really interesting. The subject of money came up. And I know that where you are, Ben, you get advances now because you're a known author. You get advances. And then there's royalties that come in for the book. And I said, you know, I already know how to make money with Strategic Coach. I said, I don't need that money. I said, why don't I just set aside all the money that this book makes and give it to Ben? And then Ben has other people that he wants to be part of his team, and he can use the money And before you respond to your side of the deal, Ben, what I want to do is to say what the response was for many of my entrepreneurs when I told them about the deal. Yeah, well, Ben just gets all the money from the book. And they said, but it's your book. And I said, 
Well, this is my book, but the book that Ben's going to write isn't my book. That book doesn't exist. And the other thing, they said, well, why are you giving away all the money? And I said, what money? There wasn't any money. I said, there is no money. There is no money. I said, and it was so funny. Their first question was, gee, what a great capability to get. Gee, what an amazing, easy way to you know have your book go out there. Their first thought was, why are you giving away all the money? I said, there isn't any money. You know, if I was to try to do this, first of all, I wouldn't have the foggiest idea to know how Ben actually is going to do what he's going to do. And for every one thing he tells me, I suspect he's doing 10 other things that he feels that I don't need to know about. But just talk about from your point of view, one is just commenting on the collaboration that we have, maybe comparing them with other experiences you've had in life. But the other thing about it where we don't have to do anything but have a handshake on this. Yeah, yeah, there's so much depth to what Dan's talking about. There's several key ideas. The first one is that, and this is a key principle for who, not how, is that when you have a bigger and better future, in order to attract the right who's, you need to have a really powerful why and a really powerful what. So in the case of Dan, the why and the what are who, not how, and impacting entrepreneurs and helping them improve their lives. And so when Dan presented who, not how to me, I was immediately attracted to it as a who. As someone who has a capability to spread ideas, I'm like, and also Dan as a person, I was like, I'm on board. I want to grow this thing. And so it's really easy to attract who's when you've got a really profound and easy way to communicate your what and your why, your vision and what needs to be accomplished. And so that was immediate. And I think that, you know, as Dan talks about a lot, you know, you can attract who's if you've got the right vision and if you're the right person. When it comes to developing this collaboration, you know, obviously Dan said, you can have the money, you've got the capability. Obviously that's, I was initially just thinking we would just split it 50-50. But what I really like about Dan's idea, because he's very into 100x growth. One of the big things that he teaches in strategic coach is that you need to pursue something that you're fascinated by for 25 years. The type of relationships that are more transactional, where you have to actually like get lawyers and business statements and you're like, all right, this is a transaction between Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan or strategic coach. We're just going to see what's going to happen. That's such a small level of thinking that gets in the way of what's possible for a potentially a 25-year transformation where fundamentally it's about my relationship with Dan and it's about my love for his ideas and it's, we don't have to worry about transaction. We're more interested in transformation. So from my perspective, because he's obviously interested in being a giver towards my needs, it's like, I want you to just take your success. You get paid for what you get paid for. I'll get paid for what I get paid for. It gets me immediately motivated and excited to just say, obviously, Dan's not just thinking about himself. He's also thinking about me, but then it makes me want to make the best book because I know that if this book succeeds, Dan's going to make way more money than he would make on book royalties. <laughs> book royalties are radically minuscule compared to, let's just say, Dan, you know, over a five to 10 year stretch of this. People signing up for strategic coach as a result yeah, of this yeah. book. Strategic coach is where Dan makes his money. And actually, he could make way more money through Strategic Coach than even if we sold a million plus copies of this book, he's going to make 10x that in Strategic Coach clients and be able to impact them in the way he wants to. And I'm going to be stoked in my way. So it's a more of an abundance mentality than a scarcity mentality. Yeah. Well, it was really interesting. One of the Strategic Coach clients said to me, he says, what if the book makes $10 million? And I said, <laughs> I think it'll encourage Ben to want to write another book with me. <laughs> 
<laughs> if the book makes $10 million, I would be fascinated in how much it makes for strategic coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if the book actually makes 10 million, yeah. that means that strategic coach made 50 to 100 million. <laughs> then again, I'm very, very curious. And we have probably about 10 more minutes on this initial podcast. And I want to tell everybody that we're using this podcast to actually develop the book. So all along, while our collaboration is actually creating the book, and I'm going to feed to Ben strategic coach entrepreneurs who really exemplify their success, really exemplifies the who, not how concept. So if any of you are out watching and listening and you want to raise your hand and be considered as an example that we use in the thick book of who, not how, please step forward and do that. But the other thing is, from a psychological standpoint, what's at play here? What are we doing here, the two of us? What are we doing that kind of really goes against the grain of how most people think about entrepreneurism, think about the marketplace, think about money-making in the business world? What are we doing different here from your standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons why I love this whole idea of collaboration is that so there's a Harvard psychologist named Robert Keegan, and he's written some amazing books, but he developed a really cool model, and he's very influential in the business world. But basically, he developed a three-step model. It's pretty similar to Covey's model of dependent, independent, and interdependent. But what Keegan said is that when you first start out in what he would call like your emotional development, you start at what he calls the socializing self. And basically, that's where you operate purely out of fear. You only do what you think other people want you to do. You're purely dependent on other people. And obviously you want to get out of that because everything you're doing is just whatever people want you to do. And you're just, but the next level up is what Keegan calls the authoring self. And this is what's very popular in American culture and Western culture. The authoring self is where you develop a worldview and you have goals and agendas. And the only thing you do in your life is to further those goals and agendas. And you can't see out of your worldview and you're very independent. And so like independence and what you would call a rugged individualism is what's most popular and it's what's most preached in Western culture. It's what people strive for. It's actually what they think is the highest level of capability. It's like if people are really independent, if they're individualists, you know, that's someone you should aspire to be like. And the problem with that is that generally, if you're that independent, you're the how thinker. You're the person who's trying to do everything and you haven't evolved to being a collaborator. So that's kind of where Keegan comes in is Keegan says that most people get stuck at the authoring stuff stage where they can't see out of their own worldview. They only have their own agenda. And if you're someone who doesn't meet their agenda, then they see no value in you. They're very transaction focused and their relationships are very surface level. But Keegan says the highest stage, which very few people get to of what he calls this conscious or emotional development is what he calls the transforming self. And basically what the transforming self is, is that it does have a worldview. It does have goals, but that it seeks relationships where two parties come together or multiple parties come together and they don't necessarily know exactly what the future is, but they know that because of the collaboration, the future is going to be bigger, better, and more powerful than what it could be itself. And that's why it's called the transforming self. So from a psychological perspective, this type of relationship where two people come together, they collaborate and they mix ideas, you know, in the words of Elon Musk's idea, Elon Musk's wife, they have like idea sex, you know, <laughs> like you never know where it's going to go. That's where the biggest transformation happens. You know, and speaking of Elon Musk, which is someone you've talked about, although Elon Musk may be able to collaborate, we've talked about the idea that in the case of Tesla, maybe he was too much of a rugged individualist. Yes. And if he thought more about 
collaborating, who knows the transformation that could have happened with Tesla. Yeah, I mean, if he had walked across the street when the S model came out, which, you know, took the world by storm because it was just an unusually new, better, and different kind of automobile using an entirely different power source, that if he had said, well, I'm going to be responsible for the continual development of this amazing electric propulsion and we're going to keep building in greater and greater value into this particular type of automobile. But in order to produce large numbers of these, I'm going to walk across the street to Toyota or to Ford and I'm going to say, look, you've spent the last hundred years knowing how you get large numbers of cars out and it's just what you do. I don't know how to do that. I've never pumped out large numbers of cars. You have dealerships. You know the entire support system and everything. Why don't we do this? And we'll just agree upon a name and we'll agree upon a payday for doing this together. We have what we have. You have what you have. Let's just put them together and produce something big. Toyota would have been in the market four, five, six years faster than every other major car maker with a superior product. And he wouldn't have had to be living at the factory trying to get out 5,000 cars in a month. And I remember the president of Ford when he It was reported that with the third model that Tesla has, they had gotten 5,000 cars out in a month. He says, 5,000, 5,000, 5,000. He said, oh, that's about six hours. He says, six hours, midnight to six, six to noon, noon to six, (laughs) six to midnight. He said, every day of the year, every six hours, we pump out 5,000 cars. They just know how to do it. So he was trying to reproduce a how that he had no feel for, whereas that how already existed in the world, but he had a special how to do, he was the who could produce this particular new kind, and the other side would have needed it as much as he needed the other side. Well, I mean, if you think about it from like a limiting thinking perspective, one of the scary parts about transformational relationships is that you don't actually fully know what the transformation is going to be because it's a collaboration of ideas. You know, like when two ideas come together, it's going to be slightly different than you would have initially thought of yourself. But from an opportunity cost perspective, let's just say five years, 10 years ago, Elon Musk would have done this collaboration. Basically, the Model S's or whatever he would have created would have probably succeeded long ago. And they would be developing things and capabilities right now that none of them could even imagine right now because of the successes that would have priorly happened and the marketplace that would have changed. They would have changed yep. potentially the market and the ideas that they'd be working on now None of them could even conceive of right now because so it just shows the limited thinking Mm -hmm. of trying to do all the hows and trying to be overly independent versus developing transformational relationships. It's amazing. So, Ben, just to kind of talk about now the first stages, because, you know, all of our clients, I really push that entrepreneurs should have books. But we're at a stage now where I've actually mastered how to produce a certain kind of book. It's kind of interesting that I had developed this little model of books that you can read in an hour. If you don't want to read it, there's cartoons that take you through the story. If you don't want to do that, you can listen to a two-hour interview. If you don't want to do that, there's a 45-minute video. We learned how to do this, and I've got it down to 35 hours of enjoyable time a quarter for me, and we pump out a new book for the last... 16 quarters, and my goal is in 100 quarters, I'll create a 
hundred books. So I've got a neat little book production. But my feeling is if I hadn't mastered this before I met you, probably I wouldn't have been in a position to take advantage of your ability to create a big book now. And I just want to talk to you about, as we wrap up the podcast here, what does this do for you? For me, it's, first of all, I should share with everybody that the difference between my age and Ben is longer than Ben has been on the planet. And I have to tell you, I recognize you the moment that I saw you because I've been looking for you for about 35 years. This capability and this mindset that you have, I've been looking for it for 35 years. And there was no way I was ever going to learn how to do what you do. I'm just happy it happened. But from your standpoint, what does the collaboration speed up in your life? Well, so many things. I mean, by virtue of me learning directly from Dan, I get to become a better entrepreneur. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Dan, in my opinion, is the number one entrepreneurial coach in the world. He has spent decades mastering the ability to help entrepreneurs speed track their way. And I think that who not how is like he would call it the microchip. If I didn't know Dan and I didn't know this idea, I might spend decades trying to go through the how process and stuff like that. So I get to, from a personal standpoint, I get to be mentored by one of the masters, in my opinion, one of the people who I want to learn from the most, but also one of my favorite ideas is collaborate with your mentors, you know? So I get to learn from you, Mm -hmm. which is going to transform me, which inspires me because my best writing comes when I'm inspired. But also I really love and believe in this idea. And when I really love and believe in something, and obviously we are going to develop a collaboration relationship which will make it successful. Obviously, it's going to help my writing career. It's going to challenge me to write about topics and ideas that I need to learn and understand and apply. But on a personal level, it's going to make me a better entrepreneur. I know it's going to transform me in ways I can't currently understand. It's also going to just help me with my writing goals. (laughs) I love these ideas. You know, I mean, they're important ideas and it's going to transform me learning how to develop and spread them. So it's just a huge growth transformational experience. for Yeah. So I feel the same way, and it kind of locks in for me. And I started off by saying that I'm looking at the next quarter of my life from 75 to 100, and that 25 years, and I'm in great shape. I'm in the best shape of my life. But there's things that my first 75 years were full of that my next 25 years those things are going to be absent and any kind of how for the next 25 years that I can't do or don't like doing, I don't do. I find another who. (laughs) And I just am so thankful, Ben, that this partnership that we have, this collaboration is going to take an idea which I think is really going to transform millions of lives around the planet And I just want to thank you for giving me the capability where I can actually do that. I love it. You're so welcome. Thank you for coming up with the ideas. You've spent decades getting to the point where this could be developed. You know what I mean? You were really laying the groundwork for this before I was born. I mean, the amount of hard work and soil and, you know, one of the things that I always say to Dan is, you know, so many of his best ideas are very relevant in the research and psychology. It's like he's an ultimate psychologist, but because he's been doing field research on tens of thousands of entrepreneurs and testing his ideas against them and refining his ideas for decades. You know, his stuff is more science-based than anything you will find in the academic world because he's actually doing it on outliers and on high achievers and his stuff has to work because people are paying him money and they're paying him a lot of money. So this is like the ultimate experience to learn on Mm -hmm. ideas that work. You know what I mean? 
Good. So it's amazing. Okay, so we're going to send you to a website where you can actually get the little book in ebook form and there's a slide right when we're finished here you can just go there and you can download the ebook and we're very very happy to make this available to you right now. Thanks Ben. Absolutely. Thank you Dan. 